One of the most important aspects to Bitcoin to me, or one of the main value adds, is the ability to truly own an asset. I feel like it's one of the first assets in history that we can truly, truly own. When you are not taking custody of it, you're still asking somebody else for permission, right? You have that middleman, you have that, that third party who controls your Bitcoin. They can decide when you can and cannot use it. So for me, if you're not actually self-custodying your Bitcoin, I would say you don't actually own your Bitcoin. Somebody else owns it. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome back to Blue Collar Bitcoin. This week, Josh and myself, Dan, are delighted to be joined by Justine Harper. Justine is the VP of Business Development at one of the highest utility and integrity Bitcoin companies out there, Unchained Capital. Justine is a wealth of knowledge on many fronts, but in particular, she's spent an extraordinary amount of time coaching and teaching people about Bitcoin self-custody. Previously, she headed up the continuing education as well as concierge service at Unchained, walking people with all different levels of tech aptitude through the process of holding private keys, multi-sig, signing devices, and Bitcoin inheritance planning. We cover all these topics during this hour's discussion. You can follow Justine on Twitter at Ms. Hoddle, that's at M-S-H-O-D-L, and check out Unchained Capital at Unchained.com. The Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast is brought to you by the makers of the most lit Bitcoin security hardware on the planet, CoinKite. Trust me, their stuff slaps. Yes, I'm a millennial trying to use Gen Z slang. CoinKite manufactures some of the most iconic Bitcoin products in existence, including the Open Dime, Cold Card, and Block Lock. Bitcoin is the world's first digital bearer asset, but you aren't harnessing the power of this decentralized, censorship-resistant ledger if you aren't taking self-custody. Don't delay. Take your security and self-sovereignty to the next level with the Cold Card Mark IV. No product has stood the test of time longer or been used by more serious Bitcoiners than the cold card. The newly updated Mark IV is ultra-secure, affordable, Bitcoin-only, and easy to use. This device can be put in play by beginners, but it also has a plethora of features and applications you can grow into as your aptitude and interest grows. Additionally, the Mark IV is compatible with the best collaborative multi-sig custody schemes out there, including Unchained Capitals which we discuss in detail during this episode. Check out all CoinKite products at CoinKite.com and use promo code BCB for 5% off select products, including the cold card. Without further delay, enjoy the episode. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Justine, absolute pleasure to have you on BCB. We are huge proponents of the signal you're putting out, the signal on chain is putting out. And uh, we'll see where this conversation meanders today, but plan is to explore what I think will be some really fundamental, hopefully practical concepts about Bitcoin self-custody, collaborative custody, multi-sig, inheritance planning, that sort of thing. Thanks for giving us the time. How are you today, Justine? Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm big fans myself. And yeah, um, I'm doing great. 
Uh, the weather's finally cooling off a little bit, so I'm going to stop complaining about the humidity and uh, just been checking along. Uh, if you work in the Bitcoin space, you never uh, you never stop, right? So that's one of the beauties. So uh, it's been a good day. So yeah, I'm glad to be here. Speaking of the weather, Justine, where are, where are you located roughly? Austin? Is that the uh, home base for you? I uh, I like to claim Austin, but no, I'm actually in Virginia. So uh, okay. I'm new to the East Coast. Uh, Austin has my heart, but it doesn't have me on the weather. <laughs> so I like to get down there as much as I can. Uh, it definitely is home front as far as for Unchained and uh, Bitcoin Commons. But yeah, I'm, I'm out in Virginia. We just get the worst of everything here in Chicago. Like I, And yes, we are talking about the weather off the bat, which is kind of pathetic, but... <laughs> We do get the worst of everything. Like we get the insanely humid. Like it gets so hot in Chicago. I think a lot of people that live in the South don't understand, and then they come up here and get just bitch slapped across the face by the humidity, and they're like, "Wow!" And then the winters are bitter. They're like Minnesota winters with swampy summers. It's it's a shitty place to live, Josh. Why in the fuck? <laughs> Do we live here? Seriously? I don't know, man. Don't say that in front of my wife, though, because she's been angle, angling to get out of here for like 10 years and just uh, oh, no. not ready yet. So the one time I went to Chicago was in the middle of January uh, to visit some college friends, and it was like wind chill negative 40. And I just remember having to cover every inch of yourself just to mm. go outside and find pizza. The food was phenomenal, though, but I am due for another trip that maybe has yeah. better weather. I'm thinking of Greg Foss telling us about Canadian winters. He's like, you guys got nothing in Chicago and in uh, Canada, you can feel your nose hairs freezing when you breathe outside. Like, yeah, so we don't have it the worst, but we're pretty close. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. Um, Justine, introduce your, your background to our audience, how you journeyed into Bitcoin. Who are you? Absolutely. Um, well, my name is Justine. I'm currently the VP of Business Development at Unchained Capital. Uh, it focuses on self-custody and then Bitcoin native services built on top of that. Um, my background though, I, I was a homesteader. I was a gold holder. I was removing the middleman as much as I humanly possibly could. I was creating my own uh, like beauty products, right? Making my own lotion because I didn't trust the, the store's version of it. And um, came across Bitcoin. This was probably 2016 when I first heard about it. And from a philosophical standpoint, it made sense. Remove the middleman, an asset you could actually own and control. Um, nobody could take it from you. Nobody could inflate it. And uh, I went and looked at it and was like, well, this is clearly not for me. What is this Bitcoin key and address thing and cryptography? Like, what is this? Um, so from a technical standpoint, it was a little over my head. Um, and then maybe 2017, I, I, alternative news source was sort of talking about this cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, and social networks. Um, and at the time I had kind of built my own local business and was teaching um, DIY, like how to create these products yourself. Uh, for me, it was always education was empowerment. I, I don't want to sell you a product. I want to teach you how to make it because they think that that empowers you to take on the next step to do something else, you know, remove the middleman from some other aspect of your life. Um, so unfortunately, my first touch wasn't Bitcoin. It was it was a shit coin. It was a social network. It was Steam. It was a Steam. social network where you post blogs and you earn crypto. And so I just I was already making these tutorials. So I was like, all right, I'll post some stuff. Um, got upvotes, and then I was like, oh, this is 
this is interesting. So that was actually my bridge. That was my learning place. I learned what a key was, what a wallet was, what a blockchain was. And then I went back to Bitcoin and was like, oh, this all makes sense now. And to be honest, you know, I didn't understand the difference, which I think a lot of people still don't, which is why I have a little bit of grace with newcomers. They don't For get sure. that, that crypto is not Bitcoin. They, mm. they think it's the same. Um, so I went back to Bitcoin and was like, ah, I get it now. Jumped in, took me a little bit of time to sort of realize the big difference, I didn't have my aha moment all in till probably late 2018, early 2019. And at that point, I was just, I was in. When when we crashed in early 2020, I was like, what can I sell? <laughs> yeah. Anything that's not bolted down, your car, yes. you know, buy a smaller house. Yeah. So I'm glad yeah. I, I, it took me longer than I would have liked, which is probably why my focus on education is very much focused on newcomers to sort of solve the issue that I saw in the beginning or the issues I had personally. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the short version. But I, I come from a very much self-sovereign background from a, from a young age. I, I said I was red-pilled in my teenage years. Nice. Yeah, we started selling shit at the firehouse. A bunch of all that That's stuff awesome. that went missing, guys and gals. <laughs> that was us. Axes, yeah. Halligan bars, recliners, kitchen utensils. Yeah. Who needs that stuff, really? I mean, you don't need that. A lot of crackpot ideas about the firehouse and how we can incorporate that, like bringing a miner in and plugging it in somewhere out of in a closet, keeping it out of the way. Just anything we can do to gain an edge, you know? Here's our most recent plan of attack, Justine. We, it sounds like. We're going to get charger, you know, car chargers at the stations. They're mm -hmm. going to, you know, green energy initiative, if you will. Well, the thought now is why don't we throw an S19 in a trunk and start <laughs> mining that way at the firehouse? Just leave that thing there 365 days a year. Yeah, we're going to have to investigate the car fire that just happens to propagate in the parking lot by the uh, electric charger. Nobody's going to figure out wh why did this fire start in the trunk? Huh. Yeah. I love that idea. It's I don't very know. creative. Okay, so here's where I want to start on the self-custody topic. Why don't we go high level? Because there are, there are definitely people that are listening that are not self-custodying. Um, they've probably heard it many times, but they haven't taken that step. Let's just start by explaining why it's so important. Why does this matter that people engage in this and start to understand what it's all about? Absolutely. Um, generally, before I explain why it's important, I kind of like to do a very high level explanation of what self-custody is. Um, the reason I say that is I feel like we talk about it a lot on Twitter, but there's still people who are like, what are you, what are you talking about? What is self-custody? So Bitcoin lives on the Bitcoin network. It never leaves. Nobody holds it for you. Rather, it lives, lives, quote unquote, in an address. And whoever holds the keys to that address can move those funds. Um, so if you have your Bitcoin on an exchange, they are holding the keys to that Bitcoin. And you actually are requesting or asking them permission to move those funds every time you go into your account and you log in and try to do a transaction. Um, when you hold the keys to your Bitcoin, there's nothing in between. So you hold the private keys and you can interact directly with the Bitcoin network. Um, you can even use a node and be completely self-sovereign in that way. So that is self-custody, is actually holding the keys that control your Bitcoin. Um, and therefore, you are in sole control. But why is it important? Um, so one of the most important aspects to Bitcoin to me, or one of the main value adds, is the ability to truly own an asset. I feel like it's one of the first assets in history that we can truly, truly own. Um, and I say mm. that as a previous gold holder. Um, and I think that when you are not taking custody of it, you're still asking somebody else for permission, right? You have that, that middleman, you have that, that third party 
who controls your Bitcoin. Um, they can decide when you can and cannot use it, whether that is just simply, hey, they're working on their servers so you can't access your account, or if they 6102 you. You know, like it, it could really be anything. They could freeze your account, somebody could log into your account, hack you, and move your funds. Um, you, they're a single point of failure, and you're relying on them. So for me, if you're not actually self-custodying your Bitcoin, I would say you don't actually own your Bitcoin. Somebody else owns it, and you Absolutely. are uh, you have a an IOU. Um, I was going to say, bring it back to gold and like make this simpler for people to understand in a, in a physical in the physical world. Like, you own gold, Brinks holds your gold. That's the equivalent of Coinbase, right? You want yeah. your gold back. Brinks says, "Well, no, we're not going to give it to you today. We'll give it to you next Tuesday, or they're just never going to give it to you." You don't have sovereign ownership of that gold because it's out of your hands. Whereas self-ownership would be the equivalent of, or self-sovereignty in Bitcoin would be having your own safe in your basement with your stack of gold in it and you have access all the time and you make that decision. That's the equivalent yeah. of a self-sovereign wallet versus Coinbase and Brinks. Absolutely. Not a bad thing necessarily, but you're adding another layer of risk into your stack. And the fact of the matter is if you're not taking custody, somebody is, right? Yeah. We're, we're, you know, Bitcoiners are constantly harping on the fact that this is the world's you know first digital bear asset at least the first one that actually works and you're not in any way shape or form taking advantage of the bearer nature of bitcoin if you're not self-custodying bitcoin i think if i was like for the person in the beginning that's kind of overwhelmed by this which i'm i'm excited to kind of prod into your experiences because you've held more hands through this scary process than probably anyone else we know um, but for the person that is freaked out, right, uh, moving Bitcoin around, just start, just experiment. There's really no excuse in my mind for the person that hasn't at least tinkered with this. Like this, if, even if it's not your entire stack, even if it's you graduate in, right, getting your feet wet with even $5 worth of this stuff is worth your time. It's the whole point of this project, right? If this isn't self-custodiable, what do we have here? Not much of anything. We lose most of the key properties of what this asset represents. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of people, uh, it's sort of an all or nothing mentality, which scares people. Um, so I'm a big believer that Bitcoin is a journey. And so is mm. self-custody. And it's okay to take those steps, beginner steps. I mean, first step could be download a, a phone wallet right? Um, yeah. Download a phone wallet that you write down those seed phrases. My favorites are Moon, M-U-U-N, uh, Blue Wallet, um, and then also Green Wallet by Blockstream. Those were some of my first ones that I interacted with was green, um, but Moon and, and Blue are also really good. And write down those seed phrases, transfer some funds from your exchange to it. Now, don't don't transfer your whole stack. Um, you know, take, take steps, write down those seed phrases, think about where you're going to store those seed phrases, wipe wipe your wallet off of your phone and reload it with those seed phrases so that you know that you can recover it and and just start you can't mess it up right if right. there's no funds in it you can't mess it up so just just start i totally agree with that and i think sometimes i love twitter um i love bitcoin twitter i love the educational aspect but i've run into a lot of individuals that have come to unchain that feel like if they don't run their own node using cold card in a five of seven multi-sig then what's the point and it's like no no just just start just start somewhere and then you know make a yeah. plan to take your your next step and the beautiful thing is as you start you start to understand this thing from a much higher you know perspective you start to really realize what these seed phrases are how bitcoin works what the the underlying mechanisms below the surface start to become more obvious and more apparent and you start to really understand now what the difference is between 
Bitcoin and gold or Bitcoin and fiat or Bitcoin and this slew of other cryptocurrencies that are mostly complete jokes. Like there, there really is, when you understand it on a more technical level, a massive difference between Bitcoin and everything else. Oh, yeah. And I think actually messing around with it allows you, like you said, to sort of understand it, to realize, oh, these addresses actually are derived from my my private keys. And, right. and oh, OK, those those addresses, there's there's a lot of them and it's not just one. And what is ad address reuse? And so you're able to sort of visualize the network in a way that maybe saying it's just magic Internet money that moves across the world is it's not really you know a great visualization. But to be able to sort of dissect it in that way really helped me understand it and feel more confident in it. Um, yeah, as a uh, as a gold holder and the self sovereign, I was like, oh, cool, Internet money. That's awesome. But who controls it? And uh, right. how can I how can I be sure that that address is really there? How can I be sure that I'm just not being told something on my, you know, on my computer that's not actually factual? You just have these moments where you come to the conceptualization of like, say, elliptic curve cryptography. And that sounds like a fancy phrase that most people don't understand. And honestly, I don't really either. But I do understand about it is it basically means those those fra- that passphrase you have can make an almost infinite amount of public keys on a huge elliptic curve. And the odds of someone else making the same one are infinitesimally small. It's just it's kind of mind blowing just all these little details about it you get to understand and it, it just blows your mind over and over again as you move down the stack. Yeah. Justine, what are some so we were we hinted at this a couple minutes ago. Like your, I know maybe your roles changed a little bit more recently. You can kind of fill us in on that. But I know you've spent an enormous amount of time on screen with people, in person with people, walking them through. For many of them, their their first time ever moving Bitcoin off of Coinbase, ever working with a signing device. What are some of the most common? concerns that people have initially when they take the step into this? And then maybe it'll be a two-part question. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people making as they as they begin on this path? Yeah, no, those are great questions. And yes, uh, when I started with Unchained, I started in the concierge department, which has grown substantially since I started. Our whole company has. But uh, concierge is a one-on-one service people can opt in for. Uh, you jump on the phone with an individual. They usually have never Uh, help private keys. They've never set up a hardware device or signing device. They have their funds on Coinbase or maybe they have their funds on a a, using Trezor or Ledger, but they don't really understand what they're doing, um, even if they think they do. And uh, they're upgrading to multi-sig. So it definitely allowed me to sort of see a lot of the hurdles and the misconceptions that individuals had. And therefore, I think that sort of developed the way that I explain things is based on that. Um, yeah, I've helped hundreds and hundreds of people hold their their private keys. And yes, at the at the end, when you can help an individual move their funds off Coinbase into an address they they hold the keys to, it's it's huge. Uh, the look on their face, it's just pure empowerment. And and that is that's that's the future for me. Like that's what matters. Uh, the rest of it I don't care about. Let's put the power into the hands of the individual and give them full control of their assets and their wealth. Um, With that being said, to actually answer your question, um, some of the things, the concerns, uh, most people's concern is them messing up. They're going to mess it up. Uh, They actually trust Coinbase not to mess it up more than they trust themselves not Mm. to mess it up. Uh, Where do they put their keys? Uh, How do they know that they can trust this device, which you shouldn't trust the device, right? So -hmm. those are usually the biggest concerns is like lack of understanding and also um, fear of centralized points of failure. 
Um, and the biggest mistakes I've seen are people trying to make it too complicated, adding too much complexity too quickly, and then they just end up with everything, all their pieces of information, all their backups, all their devices in one place, and what, what's the point, right? Look, why add the complexity if you're just gonna throw it all in the same place? Um, and I think sometimes it's just because Bitcoin's complex and, and there's not really a clear guide. It's not step one, step two, step three, right? Because it is so subjective and there's all these different ways that you can approach it. So, so those, would, those would be my mistakes I see and then the things that uh, I think people are normally scared of. Having been in this custodial role, what are some, does a horror story come to mind for you? Somebody calls and they are panicked because they lost their keys or they did something, you know, not understanding what they were doing. Is there a is there a major horror story that you that pops to mind that you can tell us? I will say that a lot of you you come across a lot of mistakes. Uh, luckily, most are solvable. I haven't seen a client lose money, uh, which is the the worst nightmare, right? Um, but I mean, there have been horror stories that I've heard that I wasn't involved in. I would say my own personal one was was helping someone sort of walk through the process, get their seed phrases, and then you know maybe like couple months later they send an email and they're like wait I, I think I messed up and it's like what and they're like oh I sent my seed phrases off to this engraving site to have it engraved oh. on steel and I'm like oh my word now luckily you know jump on the phone with them let's move your funds first of all away from that setup to where a place that you have control and those those keys have not been compromised and then let's rebuild let's wipe those devices let's get right. new seed phrases new keys and let's recreate your multi-sig setup and then move the funds into it. So no issue there, but it was definitely sort of a just not really realizing that those seed phrases are your key. Um, and if you share it with someone, then they then can access your funds and you should never send it to anyone. Um, worst case scenario, or I'm sorry, uh, worst nightmare situation I've heard of are people using a passphrase and forgetting it and uh, losing access to that passphrase and therefore losing their funds. And even if they have a multi-sig setup, which the whole goal is to eliminate single points of failure, and then you add a passphrase on top of that, you your passphrase is a single point of failure. Um, so I'm not... I, I'm Wait, just to clarify there, I'm curious. Do you, do you mean a passphrase that is all-encompassing on that multi-sig or do you mean an individual signing device in that multi-sig? For each key. Okay. I, I was going to say, I, did, I wasn't familiar if you could do that on a, like a spanning an entire multi-sig, like a key over the top of it. I didn't think so, but it, no, it may be the case. Okay. Yeah. So for Got each it. individual key. So what a lot of people will do is um, they don't realize they're actually adding a passphrase in sometimes because of the way that the device is implemented. They feel like they're adding their pin in or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and they just sort of they don't even know what they did or they thought, oh, this passphrase adds additional layers of security. But at the end of the day, my seed phrases do the same thing. They add those passphrases, they lose access to them. And they don't realize that the seed phrases alone now are not enough to to recover. Um, we've and this usually is um, I, I should clarify that I think the, the nightmare scenario was in a single SIG situation where they were moving to multi-SIG and they had they couldn't remember the passphrase for their their setup. Um, I think we actually helped walk them through that and just through trial and error, like figured out one needed a capital letter when there was a lowercase or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are sort of ways that you add this complexity that becomes an issue. Um, I know there are a lot of people that are very into passphrases and I will not say you're wrong, but I will say that they're not great for everyone. So mm -hmm. to each their mm -hmm. own. As you talk, like it, I'm putting myself in someone's shoes that say Unchained, right? Speaking to someone for the first time that's, let's say, newer to Bitcoin, certainly new to self-custody. 
the challenge is everybody's used to the, the current system where the other person on the, the Zoom call or on the phone can rectify funds and has total control over the account. Like the, mm-hmm. as good as collaborative, collaborative custody is incredible. And the reason it's incredible is because the user remains autonomous over their funds. But with that comes freaking responsibility. Like even in a collaborative custody environment, and I see you just nodding your head, you have to impart to the person on the other end of the phone. You can fuck this up, sir. Like I know it's very unlikely, but part of the autonomy is that you have to maintain one of these four items. And if you don't have one of these four items, there is nothing Unchained can do. You're you're there to yeah. mitigate risk, but you can't hold someone's hand through a, a torrid river landslide. Like if they've lost their right. shit, it's gone. I guess let's just parlay that into what is collaborative custody? Explain what it is and, and how it works. Absolutely. So yes, I mean, I, I think freedom comes with personal responsibility and uh, so does self-custody. Uh, collaborative custody allows you to be able to fuck up more, (laughs) Um, but you still have to, yeah, like you said, at least have one of those four items, right? So what is collaborative custody? So collaborative custody is just inviting like a third party, a trusted third party into your setup without giving away control. So in our current setup, um, or just speaking of Unchained specifically, we use multi-sig technology. Uh, It's Bitcoin native, we didn't make it up. Um, You can do multi-sig without a collaborative custody partner, but we use two of three multi-sig, and this allows the client or the individual to hold two of the three keys um, and we hold one as a backup. So in multi-sig, how this works is you create an address with multiple keys and then you assign a certain number amount needed for the quorum to sign for that transaction. And in this case, it would be two of three. So in a two of three multi-sig collaborative custody setup with Unchained, you as the individual can always go move your funds without Unchained. You use your two keys. You don't even have to use our interface. You can interact with the Bitcoin network in any way, shape and form you want. You can use a different wallet interface. Um, But hey, if you maybe have your keys geographically separated and you don't have easy access to one, but you want to do a transaction, Unchained can step in and sign with their backup. Or hey, if you lose something, right? Uh, You can lose up to three of the four pieces of information. When I say four pieces of information, you have two keys that's represented as two signing devices and two backups or seed phrases for those. Uh, We believe in physical seed phrases. Uh, We don't think you should depend on a device that can malfunction. So that's four pieces of information you're securing. You can lose three of the four. We can still help you. If you lose all four, yeah, like the Bitcoin. You need two keys to sign, we only hold one. Um, So it leaves a lot of room for error, uh, but yeah, it still does take personal responsibility for sure. Here's the way I think this through for someone that's like, okay, I don't, why? why? Like, why do I need somebody else to, to hold one for me? I think a lot of the benefit of this does just go to inheritance planning. Your Bitcoin self custody plan is only as strong as what happens after you die. Unless you want to donate your Bitcoin to the network, which all the power to you. But I have a family and I'd like them to uh, have their hands on the hard-earned capital that I've set aside during my lifetime. So your, your weakest point is what happens when you die, right? That your setup has to withstand that event, okay? And the way I think this through is you can tell, it can be, hopefully, let's say your spouse understands it better than this, but it can be this simple. You can tell your spouse... There are four items in these locations. If I die and you find one of these items and call Unchained, 
we have access to our Bitcoin. That is a lot simple. And I'm not, I'm not knocking multi-sig. Josh and I have set them up on our own nodes and we've done it all. They're really cool. For me to try to explain that to my wife is a whole nother ball game. Um, and I mean, a whole nother ball game for her trying to get into my Sparrow multi-sig with my three cold cards. Like it's cool, but it, it does not withstand that test, at least in this household. So this, for me, the, the word that comes to mind with Unchained is just inheritance planning. This is borderline goof proof. As long as you've explained where these items are, anything else you want to kind of fill in there? No, I think that's that's a perfect description. I think that uh, it, inheritance planning is a big one. I think also it's just we as individuals are flawed, right? We mess up. Having a backup and having an individual who's a team of experts that can help you is is extremely vital. Um, it's it's a huge addition, right? Now everything has trade offs. You're involving somebody in your security setup, but you're not giving away custody. So. For each person that could look a little bit differently. I find that most people who even from a privacy standpoint want to stay away from collaborative custody, inheritance makes sense to them because how can you teach your family members how to recover while also not making them a single point of failure while you're alive, right? right? If an individual knows where all your keys are, maybe they get a, a, a phishing email that says, hey, if you don't do this and this, you know, you're gonna lose your Bitcoin and they don't know and they can't reach you and they jump in and they're like, oh gosh, I gotta save this and, and they you know, they make a mistake um, or, you know, they don't realize the importance of it and they get rid of it or they, you know, lose access to it or, you know, they become an, an outside threat. And I hate to say that most of our family members, I hope, are not outside threats, but just having somebody who can fully access your Bitcoin and move it while you're yeah, alive is, a, yeah, it's a terrifying thing. What I was going to ask is, I think most people, let's just assume most people listen to this are apprised enough to understand that they have a you know cold card they have their seed phrases but inheritance brings another aspect of it which we're talking about which is leaving behind some direction on how to recover these funds so the problem that i have and the problem that i think a lot of people have mm. is what do i do with the directions how do i so you don't want to disseminate them too widely because then the people who are left behind very likely won't find them but you also don't want to centralize everything Let's say I use Unchained. You guys are holding a key. I have two others. I make a notebook that is full of directions and pins and all the things that they would need to recover. I guess the problem, the biggest problem I have is what do I do with this thing? Where do I put Mm. it? I mean, you could go to a lawyer, like an inheritance lawyer, maybe, but do you trust that guy? Do you trust, you know, especially a lawyer I mean, who trusts lawyers? Um, Just Carlos Sare. That's the only lawyer I trust. Carlos Sare is the only one. (laughs) Do you guys have recommendations at Unchained for that aspect of this so if you're using collaborative custody the instructions that you need to give are much less um Mm. truthfully an individual just needs access to one piece of information that could be a seed phrase and in a a multi-sig situation that seed phrase is not enough to spend your bitcoin so it's not a single point of failure right right so in that situation with um with unchained what could happen is you you have to work to ensure that the individual that you want to have access to your funds is given legal right right to your funds, it's title versus possession. If they have a seed phrase and they come to us, we need information to show that they are now the heir of your estate, right? right? And that depends on your local um, 
local laws, local things that you would need. We do actually have an inheritance planning webinar that is on our YouTube channel that you can access um, that Jeff Vandrew goes into all the specifics that you would need as an individual. We'll link that in the yes, show notes. that would be great. Um, and then, yeah, so your individual, your family member could come to us with one key. What that looks like it could just be the seed phrase. We can help them set it up on a device. We then could help them set up their own multi-sig custody solution if they wanted it, and then move the funds with our key and your one key to now a uh, collaborative custody solution that they have the keys to or some other address that they have the keys to or if you know god forbid they're trying to sell it uh we can help them move it to an exchange if that's you guys what guarantee you can talk them out of selling it because uh, <laughs> my business yeah. is riding on the answer here yeah. it's, it's an often feature you can do i'll just get on the phone and yell at them um Actually, Parker would be better at that. We'll, we'll get Parker on the phone for that. But right. yeah, so you don't need a full map because that's the scary part, right? Is if you have a full layout of here are where all my keys are and here's exactly what you need to do. Anybody who accesses that, what, what's right. the point of even separating your keys? That that right there is is a single point of failure. So with our collaborative custody inheritance plan, it's a little different. I think I'm going to put it explicitly in my will that the heir of my estate must speak with Parker Lewis. <laughs> like that's hey, like part of it. This is that. a quick aside. I read this article last night and it was like, it's creepy. So there's a company, I can't remember off the top of my head what they're called, but we'll link them in the show notes because this is hilarious. They use AI and they have you sit down with this AI and talk for like a couple of days so that after you pass away, this AI will reanimate you at the funeral and they'll people can ask the AI questions and it will respond to using your voice and your likeness. Um, Totally crazy bombastic stuff, which 10 years from now, who knows where this is going to be. People are going to be carrying around holograms of grandma. Yeah. But um, that Scary. hologram of me will be telling people not to sell this Bitcoin. <laughs> I just wanted to be able to instigate into this thing like, here's the keys. Like, this is just Josh telling every, telling specific people how to recover his Bitcoin. And it's just yeah. telling them you're going to come back and haunt them if, yeah. if they dare to sell. Josh's exactly. dead avatar. Don't sell your fucking Bitcoin. That's like all he can say hello in that sentence. That's it. So, so yeah, I mean, in that situation, that's sort of where we step in. Uh, people can create trust. They can have trustees named. They can use their business accounts to do that. If you have an individual who you want to have, maybe you're teaching them about Bitcoin and you'd like to have them involved. You know, our business accounts allow you to have multiple individuals involved as well, even though you're seen as the owner. So adding a collaborative custody partner for inheritance is, is a huge factor. I, I think that solves the problem with Bitcoin inheritance because um, as much as I love the idea of taking your seed phrases and cutting them up and separating them all over the world um, thank you for your donation to uh, to the rest of us when you pass yeah the biggest risk to your Bitcoin is yourself yes that is uh, very obvious but it's worth repeating that's how most people lose their Bitcoin right is them making a mistake it's not the five dollar wrench attack even though we should be aware of that and the way that the world yeah. is going it's something I'm concerned about as far as just you know having a target on your back but the biggest way the most uh, obvious way or the most frequent way I can't talk today is that an individual makes a mistake and usually it's because they added too much complexity don't worry Dan and I can never talk we actually That's just good. edit this so heavily that we Perfect. sound like we know what we're talking about. So don't worry. <laughs> um, let's talk uh, just to fill in $5 wrench attack for, for somebody that's newer. Basically what we're saying there is the, the disadvantage to a single SIG setup is that if let's say it's stored in your house, somebody walks through the door with a knife or a gun and says, give me your Bitcoin. Well, you can. I mean, you, it's, it's there for them to take and for you to offer. 
Q multisig. That's the advantage of having a quorum of keys that are dispersed so that even if someone walks through your front door, they can't, you literally can't give them your Bitcoin. Like this is something that Josh and I communicate to people that we're coaching along in this process. You should evolve to a point where you are unable to deliver your Bitcoin if someone is in your house. Like that, that should be, I'm not saying you have to be there today, but you should try to work towards a setup, in my opinion, where if somebody walks through your front door and says, give me your Bitcoin, you literally, it is not possible for you to do that. That is the advantage of multi-sig. This advantage, as we've spent some time filling in, is complexity. This is where collaborative custody comes in. Let's steel man a little bit. Uh, two questions on this front. What happens if Unchained ceases to exist as a company? That's number one. What, and then what are some just honest disadvantages to a collaborative custody setup? Yeah, no, I think that's important. Uh, for me personally, I, I think honesty is key. And the reason I work for Unchained is because they uh, are very clear about the trade-offs. I'm not a big fan of those who are not. So um, yeah, those are great questions. So what if Unchained is no longer here? And it could even be worse, that, you know, something simpler than that. It could be, what if Unchained's offline? What if the servers are down? Mm. How do I access my Bitcoin? Um, well, the beauty of what we do is we've designed it where we are not a single point of failure for you either. Um, we've created Caravan, which is a multi-sig collaborative tool I'm sorry and you can actually use that uh, completely separate it's a completely separate interface from unchained you can build you even if you're not an unchained client you can build multi-sig setups in there and you can spend from them you can also go to Sparrow you can go to Electrum so what we've done is we've created what we call an external recovery plan and it's really just a PDF you download that when we walk you through that concierge process where we walk you through all of the steps of what you need to do we actually explain this to you as well we help you download that and then we have lots of educational tools to teach you how to use it it's very simple um, you upload the pdf into caravan and you sign a transaction with your keys um, so you don't need to have access to our interface and we designed it in such a way that we don't want you to depend on us so for sure, not an issue. And it's actually super easy to use. I've gone through some other companies' external recovery and it's like, all right, set up your node and open up command line. And it's like, yeah. uh, no. I've been there before, it's not fun. Never works out well for me. Exactly, it's super easy. Uh, Caravan, go there, upload PDF, done. Sign with your keys. Um, so we've made it very, very easy for individuals because yeah, that complexity can kind of cause issues sometimes. Um, second question, what's the trade-offs? Privacy. Um, when you yeah. include a collaborative custody partner or a trusted third party, you're giving up information. Um, you're giving up your XPUPS, which is sort of your master public key. That's where all of your other addresses are created from. So technically, if you give an XPUB to a third party, any addresses created from that, they can see. Um, you're also giving up your personal information to set up an account. We're a financial institution. We do have to do minimal AML and KYC, as much as it pains me to say that. Um, but that is doing business in the U.S. right now, unfortunately. And so we try to eliminate risk with that by doing it all in-house internally and not depending on third parties for that. But that is the trade-off. It's privacy. Yeah, that is. Um, I was actually that was a question I was going to ask too. Like, put on my tinfoil hat for a second and. That is probably the biggest issue that anyone, especially Bitcoiners who are, you know, down the sovereignty rabbit hole are going to have is the privacy. I mean, assume that at some point in the future, you know, people start eyeing this stuff a lot closer and they want to know who owns it and where um, that privacy could be rather important. 
Well, and there yeah. are ways that you can, um, you know, you can set up entities if you have an LLC, if you have a trust. So there are ways that you could dig in and not have your personal information attached to it. Obviously that takes effort. You have to go through some steps, just like you can technically purchase a house, not in your, your name, right? Same thing here, um, but you do have to jump through some hoops. So it's possible, but yeah, that is a trade-off and it's, it's not a trade-off that everyone wants to make. And I think that's totally fair. I think for a lot of people though, it adds significant value and it's, it's either, it's a trade-off they have to take or their funds sit on, on Coinbase or yeah. they never buy Bitcoin. Right. So I also it, think yeah. that it's it's also a trade-off akin to what we were talking about with like not overcomplicating something to the point for yourself that you lose it yourself versus, you know, you're going to give up some privacy, but you have a much more robust set of um, guidelines to follow to make sure that you don't make the ultimate fuck up. And I mean, it's better to get taxed on 40% or 25% or whatever it is your tax rate is than to lose 100%. Well, and I think yeah. it's it's important to note, too, that I think a lot of people talk about the privacy trade-off and collaborative custody, but perhaps they're not super clear on what that means. So if you have an account with an exchange that KYC'd you and you you're move it revealed. to an address, you're, you're already in, they already know. Um, right. And unless you're doing privacy techniques between where you're sending it to and, and being very thorough, um, it's already attached to your name. So just not that that means you shouldn't be uh, be concerned with privacy, but I think a lot of right. people think, oh, I bought it on Gemini and then I moved it to this this address, the keys I control, so I'm in a better situation. And it's like, it, no, People, I think, don't realize easy how easy it is to reveal yourself after a coin join. Not that I've yeah. ever done anything like that, but it's very easy because you get these outputs, right? If yeah. you mix those outputs back together at any point, you're done. Or, Dude, or even the other people that are involved in that coin join, if they're dumb enough to do that, they're revealing more and more and more of that entire scale. So in it's most so cases, yeah, it's yeah. almost impossible to do that with I mean, I think not you making can. a mistake. I think you have to do a lot of research before you have to sort of, it's the journey, right? right. I'm yeah. still on my privacy journey. Um, but hey, early on I was paid in Bitcoin um, for something and I didn't even consider the fact that it was a totally non KYC stack and I had it somewhere and I happened to be holding it in some sort of multi-sig setup and I had purchased Bitcoin in a dip and I was like, oh, I need to move that over to this and oh, I'll move it to that one. And it took me a couple weeks to be sitting there and be like, oh my God, I just doxed that that stack that I didn't even consider was Bummer. KYC free. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that I think is very easy to do. And so, hey, privacy is vital. I think it's a human, it's a human right. Um, but it is complex in Bitcoin. You, you have to work at it. And so I think it's unfair to um, say that like, oh, this is a huge trade-off for this, but not also be clear about all of the other ways that maybe you've already made that trade-off. And hey, right. maybe the value add here actually is, is, uh, is worth it for some people. Yeah. Your point is right, though. If you're worried about the privacy at Unchained, your Bitcoin would necessarily need to be non-KYC'd. If it's KYC'd Bitcoin, it, it, it doesn't really make any yeah. sense. And I think a lot of people don't put that together. And I think, I think what we've just worked through is just a testament to the fact that there is no one-size-fits-all in the self-custody realm. And that's why you need to start experimenting, experimenting and exploring. There's trade-offs to every solution and scheme. Um, this is certainly a giant leap forward from having it on an exchange. And for a lot of people, it's worth it's worth a trade-off. But that's a decision you have to make for yourself after trying different things, you know? I mean, and it's not for everyone, but it is a trade-off. And I think a lot of people think that multi-sig is complicated. 
Um, I have to say that like I have helped so many people who go from either not owning Bitcoin. I, we saw a lot last year where they were like, Bitcoin makes sense. I'm going to transfer my whole retirement, my IRA to it. That's the first time they've held Bitcoin. It's the first time they've held their keys and it, it makes it very easy for them. So for some people, multi-sig actually solves the problem that maybe single sig was, was overcomplicating for them. So like multi-sig doesn't have to be complicated and it's not technically always need to be like your second or third step in your self-custody yeah. journey. Like for many people, it's their first. And yeah, there are trade-offs for sure. You got to consider those. Um, this this next question could apply to any scheme, whether it's single SIG, multi-SIG, unchained, not unchained. Let's just talk through some basics of how to store devices and seed keys, like what, what locations make sense. Um, any mistakes you've seen in these areas? Just let's talk about the, the nuts and bolts of storing private keys? Great question. Very subjective, right? Um, everybody has different attack vectors and everybody has different access to different secure locations. So our optimal solution, our, our recommended of ultimate security is you have those four pieces of information. Now, depending on your setup, that's going to look differently, right? So maybe you, you will only have single SIG so that you have one device and one seed phrase. The way you store those those things though is going to be different than if you have multi-sig because you have a single point of failure. Each of those pieces of information, the device or the seed phrase in a single sig setup can be used to spend your Bitcoin. They don't have to have your device. They can take that seed phrase and put it into another device, sign a transaction, move your funds. Um, so the way you store it is going to depend on your setup and also what attack vectors you have. But our ultimate setup for our clients, which would mean they're holding four pieces of information, is to separate those in four geographical different locations. What that looks like to you could be in the same town. It could be across the country. Um, it could be maybe you have a device in your home in a safe and your seed phrase is in a steel plate buried in the backyard in a coffee can that you, only you know where it is, right? I mean, those are technically two different secure locations or a seed phrase is in your shop that's separate from your house um, or in a place of business. Um, you wanna protect those seed phrases from weather and where. So metal plates, lamination, those sorts of things should probably be considered. Um, devices, usually you wanna have a little more closer to you because you're going to need to access them to spend. Um, so sometimes maybe that looks like having one in your home, having one elsewhere. Again, if it's single point of failure, single SIG, having that device in your home does technically open you up to uh, somebody else being able to access it. Maybe it's not the $5 wrench attack that we talked about. Maybe it's a, a maid who accesses it. You know, you have people in your home. Um, sometimes that can be a single point of failure, but specific locations. Um, Safes are great, fireproof safes. Um, I'm back and forth about mm. a uh, safety deposit box at a bank. I think that's a technically a safety uh, single point of failure. In multi-sig, it's less of an issue because nobody can do anything with that, but I would maybe not consider it as like a long-term storage because I can't guarantee that I'll have access to it. Um, if you're using multi-sig, you then can incorporate perhaps family members Hey, if you have a friend who you trust to hold one piece of information that they can't access your funds with, maybe they have a safe you can use. So specifics of where that looks like can look very, very different depending on the person, but you want to eliminate single points of failure. That should be the goal. If we can add our two cents as firemen, Please. we would also say two locations in the same home is not ideal because yes. even if you have it backed up on metal, you're going to be looking at a giant indistinguishable heap of rubble and finding 
say, a four by six charred black metal plate that was in your basement is going to be real challenging. But you're going to find it <laughs> because you have to. <laughs> yeah, you're, depending on how much is on there, you're going to find it. But uh, uh, yeah, ideally, not two locations in the same home is uh, is not best practice in our humble firefighting opinion. Totally agree. Well, that's the thing is like, if you're in collaborative custody, okay, maybe that's all you can do right now, right? Maybe your first stage is taking one piece of information, one seed phrase and separating it out. Because even though you technically do have a single point of failure there, your house burns down, right? Unchained does have a backup and they can help you recover, right? So depending again on your setup, this can look differently. When you have multi-sig, you're eliminating more single points of failure. When you add in collaborative custody, that also adds additional sort of security there. Um, so sometimes for clients, for ours, it's like maybe four separate locations right off the bat is too hard for them. It's like, okay, bare minimum, take one of those seed phrases and you're gonna separate it from the other three. So if your house burns down tomorrow, you're still good, right? And then your next step is gonna take another piece of information and go find another secure location. And then you're gonna find another secure location. So it's okay, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, but just make sure that you, there's not one thing that can happen that removes you from your Bitcoin. That that just just try to eliminate the single point of failure is the goal. That is the key. Great advice. What is it um, that concerns you the most about the Bitcoin community as you size it up, especially on Bitcoin Twitter? So I should clarify. <laughs> I, just, I don't think that there's one Bitcoin community. Um, I think that there are many sub communities within Bitcoin. I think there's Bitcoin Twitter, right? Which is a lot of the Bitcoin community that we interact with. I think there are a lot of Bitcoiners that aren't on Twitter and I love that personally. Um, so if we're gonna talk specifically about the Bitcoin community on Twitter, I assume, Bitcoin Twitter, um, I would say, and I'll try not to get in trouble here, that my concerns would be sort no, of- No, get in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. I'm easy to disagree with, and I'm okay with that. Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, the place Bitcoiners come to get in trouble. Yep. <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's a safe space. Perfect. The, the day I'm not pissing people off, I'll be concerned about what I'm doing in, with my life. But uh, we, uh, We're kind of obsessed with uh, ruffling feathers, avoiding dogmatism, and blowing up groupthink. So have go. at it here. Well, Justine. hey, one of my biggest concerns is groupthink. I think that uh, there's a lot of... A lot of groupthink happening on Bitcoin Twitter. There's not enough uh, critical thought. And I think it's normal. Mm. I think it's a normal part of sort yeah. of adoption. Um, but I think I uh, had this illusion uh, that Bitcoiners were independent thinkers, critical thought. They were the, uh, the, the opposite of what I see in society now. And what I'm sort of realizing is, hey, like Bitcoin's for everybody, right? And uh, there's some psychopaths yeah. who use Twitter mm. and they happen to identify as Bitcoiners. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. There must be some kind of a Dunbar number you reach in a community of anything that just, you know, attracts morons and assholes, you know, eventually. Well, it's eternal September too, right? Like you get the masses in and then all of a sudden it's sort of like, oh, this is now the new ethos. Um, so if I had to nitpick the Bitcoin Twitter community, I, I do think there's a lot of talking talking points. Um, and I say that because there have been things that have come up and I'm very curious by nature. I don't think I'm a very technical person, but I am fascinated by the technology behind Bitcoin. So I dig in, I, uh, I dig in deep um, and I want to understand. And so when somebody says a talking point, but then they, at the end of the day, like it's very clear they have no idea what they're talking about. I find that a little concerning. 
Um, I think it's okay. You don't have to jump in. I think back a couple years ago when a wonderful group, Dirtbags, made a joke where they started talking about cheese. After a, 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 like a Zoom meeting, they all started tweeting about cheese. Bitcoin was cheese. And they just didn't answer any questions about why. They just like full force in Bitcoin is cheese. People started tweeting about Bitcoin being cheese who were not in that group, had, had no idea why they were tweeting about cheese. It just was the cool thing to do. So now Bitcoin is cheese. And I thought that was like a perfect example about kind of in an online community, people start rallying a thing that maybe they don't understand. Um, and I find that a little concerning when it comes to sort of like uh, discussion around updates, discussion around improvements, discussion around, you know, sort of policy, that sort of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's it's like a vital thing. But if I'm nitpicking the Bitcoin Twitter community, that would be that would be it. Man, do I resonate with the talking point thing. I, I feel like I'm seeing more of it having been in for five years and, and we're guilty of it. Um, we're a couple bozos ourselves. We have very little figured out, which everybody in the audience needs to be keenly aware of. Josh and I have no fucking clue what we're talking about. And nobody does. This is the human condition. This is the intellectual journey. Your opinions need to change. You can't just regurgitate the first thing you heard that made sense. And it, as we... We're, we're a little more macro focused here. Josh and I kind of have lifelong econ interests. And, and once again, we're guilty of this too, but you have these people that literally were exposed to macro econ because of Bitcoin and they're three book experts. They've read three books from mainline Bitcoiners and they're masquerading around as though they have a deep understanding of macroeconomics. Right. It's like, you don't. You need to recognize that uh, responsible, thoughtful, kind people have very different opinions than yours. And uh, this is pointed as much as us as anybody else, but uh, it has gotten a little bit adorable on Twitter, the confidence with which uh, some some people come forward with ideas. Like we, we have to maintain a learning posture. I think you should always be learning. It goes back to that whole, there's a graph that I'm picturing in my mind. It's basically the beginner's hill. As you start learning anything new, you get to this plateau of the beginner's hill where you think you've reached the apex and you think you understand something deeply and keenly. And it takes a lot of maturity and it takes some time to first to then just breach that and then realize, holy shit, the peak is way out there. I'm not even close. And there's always another rabbit hole. Exactly. And yeah. it takes a lot of maturity to have the understanding that I'm very likely not at the apex. I'm very likely somewhere on the way up. Hopefully, hopefully I'm not standing on the beginner's hill thinking I know everything. That's the worst place you can be. I know I've heard Matt O'Dell say it. I don't know if there's anybody, I'm sure it originated somewhere. Uh, it was just like, if you think you understand Bitcoin, you're lying to yourself because like nobody. It, I appreciate the people who have been here for, for ages and have actually worked on the code and they're like, yeah, no, I don't understand it because <laughs> at least they're honest, yeah. right? Um, at least they're like, yeah, I, I understand these aspects of it, this little part and that over there I don't understand and I'm still learning. Um, I think, yeah, you should never stop learning. And if you think that you understand it, you're fooling yourself. And if you're loudly proclaiming something that you believe is factual, you can't actually sort of question your own thoughts and beliefs because that's how you ensure they're yours. Um, yeah, if you're not questioning those things, and are they really your own beliefs? That's, yeah, that's my thought. Mm, yep, I love it. This is, uh, can't be said enough. We, we have to be open to dialogue, engage with differing opinions, and um, constantly challenging the thesis too. Constantly be looking for holes in why this thing isn't going to work because nothing's perfect, Bitcoin included. It's magnificent. It's quite possibly the most unbelievable thing I've ever dedicated my intellectual energy toward. 
but it is not perfect. It's got a lot of flaws and it is not inevitable. Inevitable is just not a thing. It can be very, very likely, but inevitable is not the right word to use, um, in my opinion. Well, I think a lot of people consider that sort of comment as like, oh, well, you don't believe in Bitcoin. It's like, no, I have my full net worth in Bitcoin. I'm backing, I'm betting everything on Bitcoin. But I also think that the way that we ensure that it, it does become what I think it will be is by constantly questioning our own thoughts and ensuring that we're doing what's needed, right? Um, just because a flashy new protocol implementation suggestion comes in a new BIP, right? Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that it's worth the trade-off. So let's let's actually dissect it. Let's look at the trade-offs. Let's look at the security trade-offs. And, and I think that's how you ensure that Bitcoin becomes what we all know it will be. Um, getting cocky and thinking it's it's done and it doesn't need anything other than Bitcoin Twitter, then yeah, I think you've lost the plot. I think um, you mentioned Matt O'Dell. His favorite catchphrase, stay humble, stack sats, you know, you see that for the first time and you're just like, yeah, that's that's great. Everyone's doing that. But there's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Just shut the fuck up and keep buying a little bit at a time and you're going to be fine. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And I should say that there's a lot about the Bitcoin community that really inspires me. I think uh, I found lifelong friends and family members here. Right. I mean, I've never come across a group that has more focus on on low time preference, family, the future. Right. I think in society right now, everybody's focused on the right now. Um, and they're not thinking about the future. So to find a group of people that are, um, I'll take a few psychopaths along the way uh, to, mm-hmm. uh, to get that. They're inevitable. We're going to end with this question. What, uh, what are you most excited about in life that has nothing to do with Bitcoin? Oh, that's a good one. I have a lot. Honestly, I, I work in Bitcoin and spend a decent amount of time in the community, but it's not my whole world. Um, I really enjoy photography. I'm getting back into it. I've been a little busy over the last few years. Um, I do a lot of uh, nature photography, love cooking, um, spending time with family. I uh, show my love through food. Um, I love sitting in a room and just talking about life and society and the relationship between individuals. Um, I've been getting into a lot of like men and women and not just like romantic relationships but sort of how how they um at some point in time were sort of designed to be in harmony and how our current society has sort of broken that and i feel like there's this renaissance of people trying to get that back yeah um yeah i nature i if yeah i have to be in nature all the time so uh yeah i have a lot of them so outdoors books uh photography cooking yeah Ooh, as far as books, what would be, um, what's a book that you've read recently or just one you love that you would recommend? Um, my favorite book is East of Eden um, by John Steinbeck. Um, not a recent read. I am recently rereading it, but really, really great book. My all-time favorite book there. Um, if we're talking Bitcoin, which I know this is a Bitcoin podcast, and I did go for like a year of not reading anything except Bitcoin books. So my new goal right now is to read non-Bitcoin books. But um, Bitcoin Clarity, I think, is a really undervalued book. Um, I think for newcomers, it's great because it explains the technical, more complex technical aspects in a really easy to understand way. Um, I actually think it's one of the best books as far as explaining that. Uh, I know, obviously, I've got Bitcoin, Bitcoin Clarity. Clarity. Here. Have not read that. Have not even heard of it, Josh. Yeah. yeah, I haven't heard of that one either. Wow, we're going to mm-hmm. check that out. Mm-hmm. It's a very zen cover, too. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Justine, this has been... This has been awesome. Hopefully not the last time we have you on here. Appreciate your time today. Give our audience a handoff to yourself, Unchained, whatever you'd like here as we close out. Perfect. And yes, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Um, Thank you. You can go to unchained.com 
and um, we have a great blog there. Uh, Parker Lewis's Gradually Then Suddenly is great for individuals coming into the space. Um, I've helped develop our continuing education department. We have a ton of webinars that will help walk you through your Bitcoin journey. That's the goal, is to kind of keep you going. Um, so check those out. Those are things that we're spending a decent amount of time on. We feel like education is empowerment, and that's sort of where my passion is. Um, you can always hit me up at justine at unchained.com if you have some questions or need me to connect you to someone on the team. Other than that, if you want some shit posting, I'm Miss Hoddle on Twitter, but I don't put too much, <laughs> too much value in that over there. We love good shit posting. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to like or subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts or on YouTube. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We are also active on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. And our email address is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We invite questions, comments, or inquiries of any kind. We look forward to you joining us again on the BCB podcast.